0: The student ministry podcast you're about to hear is a sermon preached by Pastor Josh Tice at the 2010 Lancaster Baptist Winter Retreat. Brother Tice is the pastor of the Southern Hills Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. Matthew chapter 26. Today we're going to talk about, this is the message entitled, Don't Waste Your Life, Matthew chapter 26. Uh, you only have one, and so you might as well use it effectively. Matthew chapter 26, don't waste your life. Now, I'm going to talk about uh, not wasting your life. I'm going to talk about, uh, look at this. They're cheering for somebody over there. Now, that's, that's plagiarism right there. You know what I'm saying? Matthew chapter 26, don't waste your life. Um, here's the idea of what, what are you doing with your life? What do you plan on doing with your life? Now is the time. You're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. Now is the time that you should be looking to the future. Now is the time that you should be thinking, what does God want for my life? Now, you don't have to know every step along the way. You don't have to know every answer for every question. You don't have to know every year and what you're going to major in or what you're going to do when you turn 21 or 25 But you do have to begin developing a plan for life now. Successful people follow the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Follow the word of God. Happy people are obedient people, but successful people are planning people. Choosing what you're going to do and then following the dream. And so today I want to talk about not wasting your life. Obeying God with your life. Matthew chapter 26. I hope that you're there. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read that. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 1, it says this, And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings and said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people, under the palace uh, of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that he might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him, the Bible says. This is their plan to kill Jesus Christ. But they said, not only is the feast, not on on the feast day, lest there be an uproar uh, from the people. So, the plan was already set in motion. They're going to kill Jesus Christ. Jesus is not in Jerusalem at this very moment. He's actually right outside of Jerusalem in a little town called Bethany. You know, Jesus actually stayed in another town during that whole Passover week. During that time, right before Jesus was about to die, he stayed in a little town a little further away called Bethany. He was staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the Bible tells us this in this passage that he would go back and they're, they're going to have a special time there. And they're going to actually have a time where this is the story of where a Mary comes and anoints the feet of Jesus. How many of you remember this story? And she wipes Jesus with her hair. You remember this story? And we're going to apply that to our life. And we're going to talk about what it is to actually serve God. What it is to actually live for God. Now, when I talk about not wasting your life. And I talk about serving God. I am not talking about every single one of you. Either becoming a pastor or becoming a pastor's wife. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, I would be shocked if every single person in this room was called by God to full-time Christian work. That every single person in this room is going to be an evangelist or a missionary or or a pastor. I don't think, and I could be wrong, God may have that plan, but I don't think that's probably gonna happen with every single person in this room. If, If statistics are true, it might be 10, 15, 20% and that's it. And sometimes we as preachers, and sometimes we as Christians can give the impression that if you serve God as a a full-time minister in your life, then you're really, really doing what God wants you to do. But if you don't, you're, you're really not doing what God wants you to do. Can I tell you this? That you are doing what God wants you to do if you do what God wants you to do. That's profound, isn't it? That's the type of preacher I am. Somebody write that down. If you do what God wants you to do, you're doing what God wants you to do and do it and add an exclamation point and put parentheses around it and then put Dr. Josh Tice said this. All right. I'm not a doctor yet, but I'm waiting for somebody to give me one. Okay. All right. right. I'm just kidding. No, no. Look, let me explain exactly what I'm talking about. It means this. If God wants you to be a doctor, then be a doctor. If God wants you to be an engineer, then be an engineer. If God wants you to be a missionary to the Congo, then be a missionary to the Congo. My point is this. You need to begin asking yourself this question. What does God want me to do with my life? And if I do anything else, I would be wasting my life. Do you understand? Do you understand? I heard somebody one time say this. If God has called you to be a pastor, don't stoop. To become the president of the United States. But I can say exactly the opposite. If God has called you to be the president of the United States, don't stoop to become a pastor. If God has called you to be a colonel in the Air Force, don't stoop to become a missionary. My point is this. You need to find out what God wants for you. And full on, uh, full on, follow that dream and follow that vision and do what God has called you to do. And don't waste your life. You only have one. And you don't want to wake up one day where you're 45 years old, 50 years old, and say, what have I done with my life? When you have a unique opportunity that millions of other teenagers don't have. The opportunity to sit back with the word of God, with good parents, with a good pastor, a good youth leader, good helpers, and actually think about what am I going to do with my life? Don't Waste that opportunity. How can I waste my life? You can waste your life by doing the opposite of what God wants you to do. Now today we're going to talk about specifically serving God with your life. When I was, um, when I was, uh, oh golly, that was probably nine, ten years old. There was a, uh, there was a, there was a, um, some baseball players called the Bash Brothers. They were big back in the 1989, 1990, probably before some of you were born. Bash Brothers. Anybody know who the Bash Brothers were? Anybody know who the Bash Brothers were from your uh, history of baseball? How many have ever heard of a guy named um, Jose Canseco? How many have ever heard of a guy named Mark McGuire? All right, back then there was a group, of, these two guys were known as the Bash Brothers. This was back when Mark McGuire was skinny. And uh, and, uh, there was a time when Mark McGuire was skinny. Something happened. I'm not sure what it was. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it may have been. But these guys were called the Bash Brothers. And the reason they were called the Bash Brothers, they were incredible. They were the best. My favorite, Oakland A's, that's who they were. And they were the best. How many of you Oakland A's fans? Two people. That's great. That's about the way it's always been with the Oakland A's. All right. And uh, these guys were incredible. Every time they would get up, I mean, they would always hit back to back, and they would always hit it either out of the park or a great double or a triple or a solid single. It was something like that. They always did well. Now, a 100 years before the Bash Brothers ever came on the scene, there was a a, a group of guys called the Stud Brothers. And they did not. No, that's not true. I'm not kidding around. The Stud Brothers. And they did not play uh, baseball. They played cricket. Uh, They played cricket. You say, that's not a real sport. I know. But in some parts of the world, It is. And they played it. How many of you know what cricket is? How many of you know what cricket is? British form of uh, baseball, kind of. Uh, how many of you ever played cricket? By the way, anybody? Have you really? She's like, I don't know why I'm raising my hand. I don't know, okay, but it's up. But they they played cricket back and forth. They really. Uh, but anyway, these guys were so well known. They were actually three brothers who were born and raised in the same home. And uh, and the oldest guy, the oldest was a guy named Charles. Charles. Uh, stud. That's their last name was Stud. That's why they called them the Stud Brothers. Charles Studd was an incredible cricket player. In fact, he was the person who originally uh, brought back what was called the Ashes Cup. Now, we have, the, 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 we have the, the Stanley Cup, and we have the, what's the football one for the World Se- for the uh, Super Bowl? We've got the Lombardi Trophy. What's the one that they have for baseball, the World Series Trophy? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's true. Nobody cares. <laughs> But you've got these. Now, they had one that was called the... That's so funny. They had one that was called the, uh, the Ashes Trophy. Now, what they would do is that the, the, the Great Britain or England would go down and play Australia. And Australia would come up and play England. And they still this, do this to this day. Now, the Stud brothers were actually the, the stars of the game when they very first started this out. And Charles Studd went back to uh, England as one of the greatest heroes of the entire nation. It would have been like Michael Phelps was two years ago. Everybody knew who he was. How many of you know who Michael Phelps is? You know what? I'm talking about he has more gold, you know, than Mike Tyson. I mean, he has, a, I mean, more than, more than Mr. T. I mean, he's got gold all over the place. And, uh, but he, he came back and he was just well known. This guy, Charles Studd, had an incredible career ahead of him. But he chose rather to follow what God wanted for his life. You see, in Charles Studd's life, he, he's known today as C.T. Studd. And in Charles Studd's life, God began to work in his heart about becoming a missionary and beginning to go to different foreign fields and to serve God with his life. It wasn't a matter of the fact that everybody should be a missionary. It was a matter of the fact that he knew that he was supposed to be a missionary. And God began to work into his life what God wanted him to do. And he left this incredible opportunity to be a a, a national star. And he went into becoming a, a missionary. Now you say, why did he do this? It goes back to last night's message. Because obedience brings happiness. He could have continued to do what he wanted to do. He could have continued to be a cricket player. He would have gone famous. He would have had more money. He would have had more wealth. He would have had more popularity, but he wouldn't have been happy. So he chose to do what God wanted him to do, and it brought happiness into his life. He wrote a poem that is one of the most amazing poems to me. I love this poem. The poem is entitled, I'm going to read it at the end of the message. It's entitled, Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. How many of you have ever heard that statement before? How many of you knew who wrote that poem? Not very many people know the history of who that man is, Charles Studd, and why he wrote that poem, and I'm going to share that in just a moment. That's my proposition for you this morning. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. As I mentioned a moment ago, this is not a message to convince every single person to become a missionary to Africa or to become a pastor's wife. Or to, uh, or to be a, a, a church planter somewhere. This is a message for you to make a decision that you're only going to do what's going to last. That you're going to give your life to God and say to God, God, anything you want from me, it's fine with me. Lord, I I may have plans to be a police officer, but if you want me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. God, I might have plans to be a missionary, but Lord, if you want me to be a businessman and stay in the States, I'll do that. Lord, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. God, I've only have one life. It will soon be gone. And I know only what's done for you will really matter. That's what we want to accomplish today. Now, here's the question. The question is, are you planning to waste your life? And you almost wonder if there are some people that are, that plan to waste their life. They only have one. Today, we're going to talk about three considerations before you waste your life. If you're going to give your life to God, if you're going to give your life to God, there's three things you must consider. Number one, it will be costly to you. You can write that down. Number one, if you do give your life to God, it's going to be costly to you. It's going to cost you something. If you hold on to your life and do your own thing, well, that's one thing, but if you give your life to God, it will be costly. To you. The Bible teaches us this in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 6. You have your Bibles open. Look what it says. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. Now the Bible tells us that they had all left the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha and they were over at Simon's house. And Simon, who used to be a leper who Jesus healed, he was having a party. And the Bible says that as he was there, there came a woman whose name was Mary. And she had an alabaster box. How many of you have ever heard this story? You know where I'm going with it. How many of you have heard the story about the alabaster box before? Okay, a good number of you. And she took this and she broke it. And inside was a very costly ointment. Very expensive. Thousands upon thousands of dollars this would have cost us today. And she broke it over his feet. You know, somebody might say, why would she do that? The reason she did that is because that's what she felt God wanted her to do. Now, look, look. Why did she do that? She did it because she felt that's what God wanted her to do. If you do what you feel God wants you to do, it will cost you something. What will it cost you? Number one, if you do what God wants you to do, it'll cost you time, it will cost you your time. You only have so much time, but if you serve God, it's no longer your time, it's his time. It doesn't matter what God calls you to do. It's not about your life, it's about his life. It's not about your years, it's about his years. It's not about your day, it's his day. Pastor Tice, why did you come down to California this weekend? Because God wanted me to come down to California this weekend. Pastor Tice, why did you start a church in Las Vegas? Why are you spending your life doing that? Why did you spend the last five years starting the church? Because that's what God wanted me to do. It will cost you your time. You know, when we meet Mary, every time you see Mary, every time you you search it out, you see Mary is at the feet of Jesus. Every time. She runs to Jesus. She kneels down and she's sitting there. She just likes to be at the feet of Jesus. You know, the truth is, if you're going to serve God with your life, you need to be somebody who's at the feet of Jesus. Well, Pastor Tice, I'm not going to be a missionary. Why do I need to be at the feet of Jesus? Look, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're serving God or what you do. You need to be at the feet of Jesus. You need to be kneeling down at his feet all the time. You say, but that takes time, and that's my point. You need to be kneeling there and saying, Lord, what do you want from me? Lord, I want to pray to you. I want to read your Bible. By the way, if you have not developed a daily time with God now, it's going to be really difficult when you get to college. I am telling you as a teenager, you need to spend time with God. And if you give to God your life, it's going to be costly to you. Number one, it will cost you your time. Number two, it will cost you your glory. It will cost you your glory. If you give your life to God, your life is not about you receiving glory. It's about God receiving glory. Look at what the Bible says. When, when, G, when Jesus was sitting there at the feet of Mary, Mary, uh, uh, or, uh, Mary was sitting there at the feet of Jesus. The Bible tells us this, this in, uh, in John chapter uh, 12, verse three. It's the same story, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says that, G, that when she knelt down, she poured over this beautiful ointment on his feet and then she took her hair and she began to rub the feet of Jesus and clean the feet of Jesus with her hair. You say, well, didn't they have towels back then? No, the point was that she didn't need a towel. Here's why. You know what the Bible says about the hair of a woman? You know what the Bible says about it? Yeah, the Bible says that the glory of a woman is her hair. It's talking about the beauty of her hair. You know what, look, the Bible tells us this about Mary. She wasn't unwilling to even sacrifice her own glory for the sake of the master. That it wasn't about her, but it was about him. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Your life is not about you. Your life is about him. There are some people that would stand up and say, your life isn't about you. Your life is about others. No, your life is not about others. It's about him. And if you give your life to God, it will cost you your time. It will cost you your glory. It will not be about you. And number three, it will cost you your wealth. It'll cost you your wealth. You know, look, can I tell you this? This is just true. Don't let anybody lie to you. If you give your life to God, most likely you're not going to be the most wealthy person that's ever lived. You have to ask yourself this question. You have to ask yourself this question. If I would be richer doing something else, would I still be willing to obey God and do what God wants me to do? Now, look, if God wants you to be a wealthy businessman and you give your life to being a wealthy businessman, the truth is, then you'll be a wealthy businessman. But that wealth won't be yours. Does that make sense? It won't be yours. Because if God brought you there, you know that 100% of what you've got belongs to God and that he could take it away or you could give it away at any moment's notice because it's not yours, you say. You give your time, you give your glory, it will even cost you your wealth. When Mary sat down and she anointed Jesus' feet, all the money that she had put into that ointment was gone. God gave it to her for a reason, to give back to God. What I'm telling you is this. You, if you give your life to God, your money will not be your own. And most likely, you might sacrifice. I know a man named Jonathan. Jonathan is a guy who was, uh, who was uh, only 22, 23, 24 years old. He became the manager of a local business in our town. Now, you may the, the business is, is Orkin. Uh, Orkin Bug Services Now you may say Well what's the big deal About being a bug man That doesn't seem Very uh, prestigious to me But his business Was going so well That Orkin Bug Service Actually came to him And said We're opening up A new branch in Florida And you've done so well He's only 23 24 years old You're doing so well What we want you to do Is we want you to go Open this branch in Florida And if you do this We will give you A one million dollar bonus Now let me ask you a question would you have to think about it if somebody told you they would give you a million dollars to move to Florida? I mean, Florida. It's not like they're asking you to move to the Arctic, you know? Florida. And, and open this business. 24 years old, it would have been a millionaire. He came into my office. He said, Pastor, what do you think I had to do? I thought, man, take the million dollars and tithe, buddy. No, that's not what I said. I looked at him. I said, I said, I said, said, buddy, what do you, I, this is what I said. I said, Jonathan, what do you think God wants you to do? He says man i just feel like god wants us to be at this church he says i know this sounds crazy pastor but i just feel like god doesn't want us to move away from this church right now and you know i had to i had to swallow hard i'm like okay you know (laughs) and i had to look at him i said well look jonathan you got to do what god wants you to do well i think god doesn't want me to take it you know what he did look there was no revelation there was no angel singing and you know you know, the light coming down and oh, You know, it wasn't none of that You know what it was? It was just a man who said Look, it might cost me a million dollars But if God just wants me to stay here and manage the place That I'm at, I'm just going to do that Because I need to be at the right church for my family Now that's incredible to me He sacrificed Wealth So that he could do what he felt God wanted him to do Now I've got to ask you this question Be honest with yourself, would you do that? I, by the way, I had to ask myself That question that's a tough question to answer. It wasn't but a year later that we had a missions conference at our church. He came to me and sat me down in my office again. He said, pastor, I know what God wants for my life. He says, I know what God, God wants me to be a missionary. Now look, some of you might say, give up a million dollars to become a missionary? Look, if you talk to Jonathan, he is one of the happiest people that you could possibly meet. Just happy. I know, I'm tell, I know millionaires that are not happy. The reason they're not happy is because they're living their lives for themselves you know what he did he sacrificed that he decided to go off to college in fact he enrolled at west coast baptist college he's there right now he moved there with his family guy gave him a job a house he's he lives in lancaster now you probably you would see him around church you might not know who he is it's a great guy you say why here's why look he sacrificed and he realized his life was not about himself and if he was to give his life to god It's going to cost you something. If you give your life to God, don't say, I'm going to give my life to God and everything's going to be perfect. No, you give your life to God and most likely it's going to cost you something and you're going to know what it cost you. Just like Charles Studd, he knew it was going to cost him his career, but he didn't care. He'd rather obey God and be happy. And you need to sit back and say that to yourself. Look, I don't care what I give up. I don't care what I give up when it comes to my potential future. I'm going to serve God with my life. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to obey God. If God wants me to be a plumber, I'll be a plumber. If God wants me to be a businessman, I'll be a businessman. If God wants me to merely uh, uh, do what, what, it doesn't matter what it is. I am God's servant. So number one, you have to understand, if you do this, consider the fact it will be costly to you. Number two, if you give your life to God, number two, it will be criticized by others. If you give your life to God... You will be criticized by others. There will always be those who point at you and say you did the wrong thing. Matthew chapter 6 tells us this in verse 8. Or I'm sorry, 26 in verse 8. You see verse 8? It says, but when the disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold much and given to the poor. Look at what happens. The Bible says that she broke it over, and you would think as as she washed the feet of Jesus and gave her whole life for Jesus, you would think everybody would have said, wow, Mary, what a godly woman. Look what she did. But that's not what happened. Almost everybody around her criticized her for doing what God wanted her to do. Everybody. Even the people that were supposed to be the most spiritual were criticizing her for her spirituality. The disciples... They looked down at her and said, why are you wasting all of that? That could have been sold and given to the poor. You know, some criticism may even sound spiritual. But she had to do what she knew God wanted her to do. And she had to give it to, what, give it to, give it to the Lord. My point is this. If you do what God wants you to do, you will be criticized by others. And you just have to expect it. Number one, they won't see your heart they won't see your heart. Let me pause and just mention this. What I am giving you right now, I hope you're mature enough to take. Hear me now. Do not take what I'm saying today as an excuse to run away from what your youth pastor and your parents have for you and, and are sharing with you. That's right, they just don't understand. Like Pastor Josh Ty said, they don't understand my heart. I'm gonna do what God wants me to do. And then you go out and do what you wanna do. It's not what I'm telling you to do. What I am telling you to do is over these next few years, you're going to get to the point where you're not under as much authority, and you better have a relationship with God that you know what God wants you to do with your life, and that you're genuinely seeking Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And as you go the direction God wants you to do, you will be criticized by others. They won't see your heart. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10, don't turn there, I'll read it to you. It says, and now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You know what Moses told the children of Israel right before they went into the promised land? He said, you know what the Lord requires of you, Israel, but to love the Lord your God with all your heart. To serve him with all your life. That's all he wants. You know what God wants from you? All he wants from you is, to, is for you to love him with all your heart and to serve him with all of your life. But if you do that with your heart, there are going to be people that don't understand why you're doing that. There are going to be, an, you're going to have an uncle. You're going to have a friend. You're going to have a grandparent who's going to look at you and say, why are you going to waste your life by going to Bible college? Why are you going to la- waste your life by going to some Christian college? Why are you going to waste your life by studying that? And you're going to look at them and say, because I really believe that's what God wants me to do. That's a waste. Don't you see what potential you have? Don't you see what you could be? Don't you see what God wants? And and they'll give you all sorts. Look, you got to do what God wants you to do. And they will criticize your heart, number two. Number one, they don't see your heart. Number two, they won't understand your reasoning. Somebody who genuinely lives for God is living for a specific reason. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, Pastor, why did you live for God? Here's the first reason. Number one, because I want to have a happy life. The second reason is because of this. One day, I'm going to stand before God. And when I stand before God and he's on his throne and he looks down, look at this. Look, every single one of you, just as sure as you're sitting here, you're going to sit at the throne room of God one day. And he's going to look down at you, and you've only have one life, and you're going to have to answer to God for what you did in your life. He's going to look down and say, what'd you do with your life? Tell me. Give me the story. And you're going to have to explain to him what you did. The reason I'm serving God with my life is because I want to look up and say, God, all I did is what you wanted me to do. I made mistakes. I had sin. I had problems, but ultimately, I just followed your plan. Look, I would not want to be sitting in that judgment room with any other answer, would you? Look, the reasoning behind giving your life to God is because one day you're going to stand before God, and you better be looking at God with a good answer. That make sense? Look, at that point, you're not going to answer to your uncle. You're not going to answer to your friends. You're not going to be answering to your parents. You're not going to be answering to your pastor. You're going to be answering to God. You better look at him and say, God, I did exactly what you wanted me to do. You say, well, how can I know what God wants me to do? You better get to know God. There's going to be a transformation in some of your relationships with God in the next few years. It's going to stop being a relationship with God through your parents or through your youth youth pastor. And it's going to be a relationship that you have with God. You. You. How can I know? Teenagers all the time. How can I know what God's will is for my life? You know God's will by getting to know God. You need to get to know him. Know him for who he is. Spend time with him. Pray to him. Spend time with him. Read his Bible. And we see so clearly that when you stand before God one day, you'll be able to say, God, all I did is exactly what you told me to do. They won't under- People will not understand your reasoning. Number three, they won't grasp your faith. They won't grasp your faith. There are people in your life who are not living for God, and the people who are not living for God will not understand why you're doing what you're doing. Somebody who's not saved will not understand why you're giving your life to God. I had an uncle. His name was Rick. Rick, Rick, Rick was a, uh, is a crazy guy. Um, he, uh, he's, it's true. He's crazy. Um, he's recently passed away, so I can talk about him, I guess. You say, that's cruel. No, we had a good relationship. But Rick was, so, Rick was the uncle that, um, you know, he liked to offer you a cigarette when your parents aren't looking. I don't know if you have somebody like this in your life. Or he used to tell me things like this. He used to tell me things like this. Well, your daddy, if he had his way, all he'd want you to do is become a preacher. I think what you ought to do is think for yourself. He used to tell me this. He said to me this before I went to college. He said, well, when you go down there to find a girl, he said, understand, this whole idea of no sex before marriage, that's good for some people. He said, but look, look." he said this. He, 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 like I said, he's crazy. He said, he said um, now let me say it this way. If you're going to buy a pair of cowboy boots, you don't buy that pair of boots until you try them on. He said, when you get married, you need to, you know, you need to, you know, before you get married, you need, you you know. And I looked at him and I said this to him. I said, I'm not buying an old pair of cowboy boots. I'm getting a princess from God, you know. You know, you're going to have people like that in your life that when you say, I'm just going to do what God wants me to do, they won't understand You're going to have an uncle, you're going to have an aunt, you're going to have a brother, you're going to have a sister, you're going to have a parent, maybe, that you say, I'm going to live for God, and they're going to look at you, and they just won't understand why. You have to understand, number one, it will cost you if you give your life to God. Number two, you have to understand, you will be criticized by others if you give your life to God. And number three, number three, if you give your life to God, number three, it will be commended by Christ. And that's what really matters. Number three, if you give your life to God, it will be commended by Christ. See, look, ultimately, I don't care what my uncle thinks of me. I really don't. The most important person that I care about is what God thinks of me. I don't care. I I, I had a friend growing up whose name was Travis. I mentioned him last night. He thought we were crazy that we were going to college to study for the ministry. But ultimately, I don't care what he thinks about me. I mean, Travis was so stupid. Travis, when he was 17 years old, thought it was great to go up. His, uh, one of the girls in the youth group's parents were out of town, and she called him up and said, hey, why don't you come on over? Oh, this guy thought he was so cool. He went over, and he ended up sleeping with her that night. And it was, it was just supremely cool that nine months later they were in the hospital. He was a, he was a baby daddy at the age of 18. That was cool. You know what was even cooler is that three years later, after he just got sick and tired of being that mature and that that much of an adult at the age of 21, that he ended up emptying the bank account and leaving his family without any food, without any money, without any income, and he he skipped town. This is a kid I grew up with. That guy's cool. And you know what was incredibly cool about this guy (laughs) is that he used to make me feel bad that I wanted to serve God with my life. What a a loser. There are going to be people who criticize you. You don't need to listen to those people. And number three, as I said a moment ago, if you give to God, if you give your life to God, it will be commended by Christ. See, I don't care what Travis thinks of me today. Honestly, I could care less. I don't care what my uncle thinks of me today. Honestly, I could care less. What I care about is what Christ thinks of me. If you live your life constantly trying to impress others, all you're going to do is impress some and make others mad. If you live your life to impress Christ, then all you're going to do is one day have a great story to tell Christ about your life. Now, look what the Bible says of what Jesus said in verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus actually talks about this woman. It says, when Jesus understood what they had said, remember, all the disciples were saying, why is she wasting all this wonderful ointment? Jesus came to her defense and said, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work for me. For ye have the poor always with you, and me ye have not always. For in much as ye have poured out this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath been done told for a memorial unto her. You know what Jesus said? She said, leave her alone. She's doing what I told her to do, and I'm so proud of her. You know what's great? Is that if you do give your life to God, there will be people who criticize you. The truth is, it will cost you something, but all that really matters is that God himself will be pleased with you. And that the Lord Jesus Christ will speak well of you. And that's what you have to keep at the forefront of your mind about wasting, God, wasting your life. What, what happens here? Number one, we see that you'll receive earthly blessings by serving God. This is our last point. I'm going to give you a couple subpoints, and we'll be done. What is it about serving God? If you actually are committed by Christ, what happens? You'll receive earthly blessings. You know one of the great things about serving God with your life is that God not only takes care of you in, when you get to heaven. He actually takes care of you when you're on earth. The Bible tells us this in in, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God said this. I will always take care of your needs if you obey me. But if you disobey God, look, he is under no obligation to take care of you. None. I have people come into my office as a pastor and they'll come in and say, Pastor, pray for me. We're really going through hard times. And I pray for them. I say, Lord, as much as you can bless them, I pray that you'd bless them. But the truth is, I know that I talked with them six months about the fact they need to get this sin out of their life. They need to start tithing. They need to start doing these things. And the truth is, they didn't do those things. And now, how can God bless them if they're not doing what God told them to do? So I'll pray for them and God bless them the best they possibly can. Can I tell you the truth is this? God's not going to bless your life. God is not going to bless your life if you don't obey him. So you're fine. Go out and do your own thing and try your luck living against God. But God is not going to be your helper. And there's going to be a day where you're out there in the middle of somewhere and you're going to be sitting on some bar stool or you're going to be sitting in some gutter or you're going to be sitting in some mansion and you're going to cry out to God and you're going to say, God, I need you now. And God won't be there because you've ignored him this entire time. do, Do you hear what I'm trying to say here? The great thing about serving God is that God is always there when you need him, always. And that's a great benefit. There are earthly blessings. If I were to tell you some of the things that God has given my family and done for us, you'd be shocked. God has been so good to us. Number one, earthly blessings. Number two, eternal blessings. Eternal blessings. You see, not only does God give you a wonderful life on earth if you give your life to him, but secondly, he actually gives you eternal blessings that last forever forever. The Bible tells us in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is talking about those people he's led to Christ. And what an exciting thing it will be to present them to Jesus Christ as a gift. Eternal blessings. It's going to be such a joy to see the eternal blessings of God by serving, your, serving God with your life. So if God calls you to be a public servant by being, by being involved in the fire department or the police department or even in a political office somewhere. And if that's what God's called you to do, what a wonderful joy it's going to be to know that God has prepared that for eternity for you. And then lastly, one of the great things about serving God, lastly, is that uh, you'll see the greatest reward of all. The greatest reward of all is found in the book of Matthew. And I want you to turn there, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21, the Bible says this. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You say, Pastor Josh, what's the most important thing about serving God? Here's what it is look. If you give your life to God and do exactly what God wants you to do, no matter what it is, the greatest thing about it is that one day when you stand before God, God will say to you, Good job. You did good. Isn't it, isn't it great? Isn't it great when your coach looks at you and said, Hey, good job? That was great Doesn't it feel awesome when your teacher comes to you And puts down the paper and says Hey I know you worked hard at that You did great Isn't it great when your parents recognize the fact you did well Good job I'm proud of you How much more cool would it be To actually stand before God And God looks down at you And says hey Well done You did exactly what I wanted you to do Man, that's, that's what I'm living for. That's what I'm living for. In the year of 1860, this is, uh, wow, 150 years ago. In 1860, there were two men that were born, two little boys, two baby boys. They're both, both of their names were Charles. The first Charles was, uh, was the one I talked about a moment ago, Charles Studd, C.T. Studd. He's a great character. You should study about him. The other Charles, his last name was uh, Charles Curtis. Anybody ever heard of Charles Curtis before? Charles Curtis, Charles Curtis. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Charles Curtis's life. Charles Curtis. He was born in 1860, but in 1899 he became the congressman from Kansas. Charles Curtis became a congressman. Don't you think it'd be cool to meet a congressman? That's pretty cool. And in 1907, he served there for eight years. In 1907, he became a senator to the U.S. Senate. He became a senator. How awesome would it be to know a senator? How awesome would it be to become a senator? But it didn't end there. He served in the Senate for almost 20 years, and then he became the Senate Majority Leader. Charles Curtis, that's incredible. The Senate Majority Leader. But then you know what happened in 1929? He actually became the Vice President of the United States, Charles Curtis. The Vice President. That's awesome. Don't you, look, don't you think you'd look at somebody and say, wow, if he became the vice president, he was somewhat successful in his life. Don't you think so? But you ask people 150 years, actually, this is only 70 years later. And you know, nobody in this room has any clue who he is. And do you know why? Because nobody cares who the vice president was 80 years ago. We could care less about this man's life. But I guarantee you, he thought of himself as a success. And during that time, the majority of the people that lived thought of him as somebody who was successful. There was another Charles that was born in the exact same year. Let me tell you about his story. Charles was a celebrated cricket player from 1878 to 1883. He then gave up his career and became a missionary to China. For 15 years, he served God in China. The rest of the world forgot about him, but China remembers him. And more importantly, God remembers him. From the year of 1901 to 1909, he became a missionary to India. He paved the way for hundreds of missionaries to preach the gospel there. The rest of the world forgot about him, but God remembered him, and the people of India remembered him. After he left India, he went to Africa, and he served God for the next 20 years of his life until 1931. And he served God in Africa for 21 years. And then he died in Africa, and he was buried, and that was his life. One guy ended his life as the vice president of the United States. One guy ended his life dying on the mission field in Africa. Now I've got to ask you a question. Ultimately, 100 years later, which one really matters? Look, what I'm trying to tell you is this. You could come become the vice president of the United States of America, and it could mean nothing 100 years from now. Nothing. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. You did nothing. Or you could give your life to God. See, what I love about the story of Charles Studd, CT Studd, is that he finally grasped this principle. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let me read his poem, and then we'll be done, all right? Remember, as I read this, today, what I talked about, about the fact that um, God may call you to be a businessman, God may call you to be a police officer, you do what God wants you to do. God may call you to be a missionary. Listen to what this this poem says. says, Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then, in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before him at his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays, I must fulfill living for self or living for his will. Only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, when help me, uh, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep, faithful and true whatever the strife pleasing thee in my daily life only what's done for Christ will only, once do, only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last oh let my love with fervor burn from the world now let me turn living for thee and thee alone bringing thee pleasure on thy throne because only one life will soon be passed only what's done for Christ will last only one life yes only one now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I shall say, 'Twas worth it all. Only one life it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Are you going to waste it? Or are you going to seek what God wants for your life? and be happy. Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org and for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.